Hey there, sexy techies. Hey there, sexy lady. <laughs> I feel like I never know what to say. <laughs> you always have like a really good intro or, or you Not tonight. say like, hey, hey, everybody. So <laughs> Yours is like all set for you. Right. Well, I did that on purpose because I'm awkward if I don't have something <laughs> prepared. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's been, it has been a week, hasn't it? I mean, you were out of town for yes. five days, so I had our two little angels. Yeah, and I bet they were angels for you. It was the just the perfect long weekend. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. I don't, I mean, I had a lot of, you know, like hotel meals and a lot of DoorDash and... Room service. Oh, must be nice. No, I mean, I was wondering like what you guys ended up doing for dinners. Did you guys do like Grubhub? Well, and- thankfully... You made dinner. Oh, I did. The, dinner. the day that you left. You're welcome. Um, that, yes, thank you. That lasted me two days. Okay. Um, the kids, the kids are pretty easy to cook for. Yeah. Um, we did have McDonald's one day. Okay. Um, oh, what a treat! Yeah, that was the treat. <laughs> that's that's about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I've. I mean, I miss a good home cooked meal while I'm on the road, um, but ever since like. I've, you know, discovered like Uber Eats and DoorDash and things. It's It's been nice to like think that I have like restaurant quality food being able to be delivered, especially if I'm somewhere where like I can't go to the restaurants. But I was in a place um, recently. It wasn't in like a busy metropolitan downtown area. It was like kind of off the beaten path. And I was really surprised with all of the, you know, restaurant options that could be delivered through like Grubhub and DoorDash. And I was like, are these restaurants like really that close by? And then that's when, you know, I, I went through this whole like Google thing and, and all that. And that's when I discovered the concept of ghost kitchens. Have you ever ah, heard of that? I have. You have. Of course you have. Because you're like <laughs> so like up to date with things. No, but... I just learned of them recently. And okay. I, and I don't want to spoil anything because okay. it's probably part of what you found. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. So ghost kitchens, for those who don't know, who are like me, they are this concept that has kind of been born with the whole um, restaurant to home delivery service, you know, that everyone kind of yeah participates in now so it's a really great way for restaurants or like new restaurant owners to reduce overhead costs and resources there's you know like no storefront no dining room no like front of house staff Um, it's just really a kitchen and it functions as a hub for you know other virtual restaurants so there could be more than one basically like restaurant food preparation happening in right. one ghost kitchen. Yeah, it's like a an outsourced kitchen for restaurants right. basically. Right. Exactly with this with you know all the same line staff like cooks and sometimes you can even do a ghost kitchen in an existing kitchen of an existing restaurant which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah, especially for restaurants that are only open certain hours, right? Right, um, yeah. You can use it during the day as a ghost kitchen or something. Yeah, like a, a lunch ghost kitchen. Like if, you know, your menu specializes in like breakfast or lunch, like delivery. So I thought that was really interesting. It's almost, you know, I would liken it to maybe like a WeWork space um, for for businesses where, you know, all it's it's a building, it's a hub where you have the resources that you need to run your business, but it's all different companies that, you know, can intermingle in this place. Yeah, maybe like a FedEx Kinko's. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> sure. It's the FedEx Kinko's of, of restaurants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really cost effective. Um, this, you know, model, it's typically used by delivery only restaurants. And as of 2022, the global ghost kitchen market size was estimated to be 58 Point thirteen billion, and by 2026, the industry is estimated to grow to 89.5 billion. Oh, I had no idea it was that big. It's huge. I mean, just think about people late night in the office, like people who just like want delivery, like or you're ha- you have your kids and you don't have time to make dinner. Like, how many people will do a DoorDash or a GrubHub delivery? I've never ordered from anywhere that is a ghost kitchen. Like, I've won't. Well, one that you know of. No, right? because I usually call the restaurant. I usually still I'm, I'm old school when <laughs> it comes are. to restaurants because I've had some bad experiences with Uber Eats. I know there yes, have been have, multiple yeah. times where we have ordered something from Uber Eats late at night, let's say eight, eight thirty. And like it wasn't going to come until yes, 10, 1030, something like that. And they canceled on us. Yes. But not like right when we ordered. They waited until it, it, we were supposed it was to supposed have. to be here at 10 or 1030. And yeah. I had to call you. And there's no number to call. It was right. just a mess. And by that point, you're starving. You're hangry. And so I've basically written off um, until I can be proven otherwise. I've just written them off. Okay. Yes. And if I were to rank the food delivery apps in my phone that I have right now, DoorDash is definitely number one then Grubhub, then Uber Eats. Like I hardly even like re-download that because it's been so unreliable for me. Prove us wrong, world. Yeah, Uber Eats, listen to this and, you know, do something (laughs) to make this right. But uh, I'm old school and I'm very customer service oriented when it comes to food. And if, if, you know, I want a a number to call and like a physical location to go to. Like, and just, you, I just feel like you can ensure that the quality is better if there is somebody standing behind the food that you get and not like it came from a black hole somewhere. Again, which is why AI is not going to take our jobs anytime soon because humans crave human interaction in some aspects of our lives. The food, you know, industry is definitely. I'm not normally one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're like, I want to avoid people as much as possible. But um, but there's about like 1500 ghost kitchens um, just in the U.S. alone. It's huge in India. Um, Again, like with all of this research that I'm doing. And so every year, like there's new tech startups that um, and shared spaces that are joining in on this sector and, and really just getting in on the opportunity of this growth. Cloud Kitchens is one of them. It is a real estate company based in LA that specializes in providing commercial ghost kitchens to delivery-only restaurants. Um, so in addition to the space, they partner with restaurants to also get like the logistics and facilities services. So the startup offers delivery management systems. So they you know, have the drivers in place or you know, whatever it yeah. is that they, they utilize to deliver. They are designed to serve as a hub where restaurants can track their sales and deliveries. And it's estimated that Cloud Kitchens, um, the company, earns up to $5 million in annual revenue. So that's just like one of many startups that I had seen out there that kind of are in the ghost kitchen space. I don't know an, a lot about ghost kitchens yet, but mm-hmm. it seems to me like it's kind of a commodity. I don't know how you really differentiate yourself as a ghost kitchen other than having a reputation for good quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sure quality is pretty important when it comes to your your kitchen because, you know, some entrepreneur is going to talk about how they started a new concept or something using 
this ghost i don't know maybe they they say who their ghost kitchen is maybe they don't um right but but yeah i mean other than that i I don't really know how you differentiate yeah there's um there's also there's different i guess like sectors that start these ghost kitchens like cloud kitchens is a real estate company but there were other startups that were more like tech-based companies and you know, like different industries that start their own kitchens, ghost kitchens with their own like niche. Okay. Yeah. Maybe specific types of food. Like do you specialize in certain types of food? I mean, maybe there's not many ghost kitchens serving Ethiopian food yet or something like that. And so maybe you could build one out. Yeah. And maybe like even just the the resources that they have. Like if you are a coal fire pizza kitchen, you're going to need a coal fire to to right. bake in and, and things like that. Like you, you would need the right, I guess, like tools. to Right. But you're missing a key piece of the in-person dining experience, right? Which is right. like the ambiance, the location, that sort of like that, that those are huge yeah. uh, factors when you're deciding where to go eat. And if it's coming from a faceless, you know, business with no physical presence that you're ever going to see, right. then all you really care about is the the food right the quality of the food I know and but then there's also like if you go to really nice restaurants with like you know Michelin star restaurants with with like very like acclaimed chefs right you want that chef to be preparing your food like coming out to your table right if you're like at a chef table right exactly and like you know actually like being the one to prepare their food handpicking the you know the other cooks that are helping in in the line to prepare your food and if you yeah are are ordering from a ghost kitchen service it's the same like cook line that does multiple restaurants so you know what's going to differentiate them like one person's food from from another yeah which you know kind of like the quality of food not being so great reminded me of there's this one lawsuit that's out there i don't know have you ever heard of mr beast and the Mr. Beast burger. <laughs> the way that you said that. What? <laughs> like, like there was a good chance I hadn't heard of who Mr. Beast was. <laughs> so I don't know if you've looked up Mr. Beast on YouTube. Mr. Beast has 182 million YouTube subscribers. He is the most popular YouTuber <laughs> on the planet. Okay. Um, but the funny thing is, I would venture to say that 90% of those are probably not in our generation. Okay. So... I, I was listening to this podcast recently, and this uh, this other YouTuber was going around to Gen Zers or whatever. What's the generation after Gen Z? Alpha. Okay, Alpha we're starting Gen. over. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so uh, going around to younger people and showing them a picture of Mr. Beast and Tom Cruise, and <laughs> asking them who each of these people were on uh-huh. the pictures. They all got Mr. Beast. Wow. And. Some of them didn't know who Tom Cruise was. Oh, that's... And he did this in front of a Top Gun Maverick like poster <laughs> oh at the movie gosh. theater where oh, right. when Top Gun Maverick came out yeah. and people still didn't like make the connection or know who Tom Cruise was, but they knew who Mr. Beast was. That's insane. And yeah, he was relevant at that point too. Yeah. But if I mean, if you think about it, like our seven-year-old is considered Gen Alpha. He definitely wouldn't know who no, Tom Cruise no, is. No, no, but... Oh, no, but he also wouldn't know who Mr. Beast is, I well, don't think. Well, I don't know. So the way I knew Mr. Beast, because I'm not like a huge like YouTube d- subscriber, <laughs> even though we're on YouTube. And so the way I know Mr. Beast for the first time was um, our, our son went 
you know, with a friend. They went and their friend took him to a convenience store. He comes home with like a Slurpee, like beef jerky and a Mr. Beast bar. That was the first time that I learned that Mr. Beast had a a, a like, bar. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I and didn't like, know that that was part of his. I mean, he's got a bunch of other businesses now. But right. Yeah, that's that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I realized that he was like a YouTuber content creator first. And then he expanded into different lines of business. One of them is the Mr. Beast Burger. I don't know if you've heard of this. This is what I was alluding to earlier. Yes. yes. Okay. So the Mr. Beast Burger um, was this terrible burger that was delivered <laughs> out. That was. It wasn't supposed to be terrible. No, obviously <laughs> not. But um, it was made in a ghost kitchen. And uh, Mr. Beast has since sued, uh, filed a lawsuit against Virtual Dining Concepts back in July, um, saying that the company tarnished his brand and reputation. They apparently served burgers that were, and these these were the reviews. They were disgusting, inedible, revolting. They were like they received so many complaints about it, and he hasn't received any payment despite the brand's significant earnings. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so what I also just found out is then Virtual Dining Concepts countersued Mr. Beast. Um, that's a, that's just what you do. Like that's is a it? thing. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, you, okay. Like if you don't countersue, you might as well just really, roll over. Oh, okay. I don't really know how. <laughs> no, like, I'm just kidding. Suing like, not, works. Not everybody does it, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, like the closest I've been to like going to court was like Mrs. Doubtfire and like <laughs> movies. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so Virtual Dining Concepts countersued Mr. Beast, um, saying that he bullied them on social media, threatened to terminate their contract um, if they didn't comply with his demands. There were several tweets from Mr. Beast um, to his nearly 23 million followers that reportedly sabotaged the Mr. Beast burger and Virtual Dining. And so that breaches their contract because apparently they had this like mutual contract where they would share like social media pages and he apparently like changed passwords and like blocked them from being able to post and, you know, do like cross posts with. Things are getting heated. I know. I mean, the social media world and the the collabs, I guess, is um, is hard when you can't uphold you know, one reputation and then the other one tarnishes the other reputation. I mean, Mr. Beast needs this money from this ghost kitchen. Uh, he is out there destroying Lamborghinis for oh YouTube views. That's and, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, his, the, I'm just kidding. He doesn't need the money, but like no. <laughs> he's got tons of money, but he right. spends a ton of money on his YouTube videos. Yeah. Like it's just part of his thing. Like, oh, wow. He's just constantly trying to outdo himself. Oh, gosh. And those are the types of videos that he creates and that people love. Like, oh. I think the one that I just referenced, um, they're just destroying all this expensive stuff. Um, they One other thing that they did was they took dominoes mm-hmm. and starting with tiny little dominoes up to huge dominoes, like Guinness oh. Book of World Record size dominoes. Yeah. The last one fell on an old 7-Eleven and oh demolished my, it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, that stuff, all that stuff is pretty expensive, right? Like, Can you I, imagine? Hold on. Can you imagine? Because I've tried to set up dominoes with our son before. <laughs> and like sometimes like in the middle, like my sleeve will like brush on one and like half of it will fall <laughs> yeah. over. Can you imagine? that happening oops i know <laughs> like, yeah. like oh uh we didn't have the cameras rolling <laughs> I know, right right <laughs> i bought a copy of a book okay i don't remember the exact year i think it was 2008 or 2009 and you know like when people say that 
there's a book that they read that like changed their life. Yes. Yep. I can relate. So I can too, actually. Okay. I bought this book called Founders at Work. Okay. It was written by Jessica Livingston. Mm -hmm. She was a founding partner of Y Combinator. Okay. She is a founding partner of Y Combinator. All right. She's retired now. Um, She's married to Paul Graham. Okay. Who is also a Y Combinator founder. Correct. Yes. I know names. Yes, you do. (laughs) Um, So... Paul Graham, yes, they're so they're very prestigious investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, y Combinator is the most prestigious startup accelerator. So, but the book was a collection of interviews that Jessica did with like the founders of about thirty different companies. All YC com- companies. No, okay. uh, so this was very early in YC. Um, okay. YC started in two thousand five, mm-hmm. and this was written, I think, just a couple years after. Okay, okay. Um, like two thousand seven, maybe. So, and I could be wrong about that that date that it was written, but no, n- not Y Combinator companies. So some of the companies included like Apple. Mm, so they interviewed okay. Steve Wozniak. Wow. Um, she interviewed uh, founders of PayPal. So some like big iconic companies. Yeah. Um, and then others like, do you remember Lycos? Lycos. Go, go get go it. Go get it, That's boy. all I remember. Yeah. It was like a black dog. It was a search engine. Search engine, yeah. right. So yeah. I had to like talk it through to there myself. There you go. And then uh, <laughs> this one, do you remember Hot or Not? Oh my god! Yes. I, don't, oh. Oh. Uh, I mean, I guess you'd consider it a startup. It was a website. Um, <laughs> Did that go places? Uh, I mean, it was very popular for a time. I think it was for a time. It was one of the most popular sites yeah. on the internet. I yeah. think it was. I don't know how long that that lasted, but um, you know, long enough to make it into the book. It was well. It's, a, it's right. an interesting story. I mean, it was it was around the time that that book was probably published. That like hot or not was making its rounds. I think it was a little earlier. It was like early 2000s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hot that, or not was created. That tracks, maybe 2000. Because I want to say like my freshman and sophomore year of college, I just remember like I would, you know, go to my friend's dorms, most of them who were guys, and they would just like mindlessly be like rating if, so, you know, these random pictures were hot or <laughs> not. I'm like, right this is what bu- we're doing. <laughs> right before Facebook launched. Yeah, and right. then they... Yeah. quickly moved over to Facebook and they could yeah. actually find the girls at their own college. That's so true, right? Oh. And that's what happened to Hot or Not. <laughs> so this book, when I read it, I didn't know startups at that point like mm. I did when I once I picked up this book. Oh. Um, and sort of like the allure of early stage startups, like mm-hmm. just getting off the ground, like to me, that was like the most exciting thing that I had ever read about. Oh. Wow. So like, you know, somebody else who, you know, might be into actors or like, you know, yeah, Hollywood mm-hmm. or um, you know, Taylor television. Swift, reality television. Right. Yeah. For me, that's like founders. Oh. Like, I, like <laughs> that's what you fangirl over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like I read I read those stories and, uh, you know, I just thought that that was so cool. So and there's a quote from the book uh, from the introduction of the book. It says some kind of magic happens in startups, especially at the very beginning. But the only people there to see it are the founders, mm. which I think is such a great quote. Yeah. Um, and having been through startups myself, I think it's true. Um, I think you don't necessarily know that it's magic when it's happening. Of course, no. Um, it's probably stressful and you yeah, know, like on un- un- all the so unknowns. Most and- of the time, it's pretty terrible. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially most- since most startups fail. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna say, as most great stories start, they're yeah. like terrible and miserable and stressful. Exactly. <laughs> So the reason I bring this up is mm-hmm. some of the segments that we're going to do on the podcast are 
really startup stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't done as many of them yeah. yet. Uh, I'm, I, I can't believe we're on episode seven <laughs> and it's really the first. Uh, I mean, we've done. We've scratched the surface on some like startups. Yeah, but exactly. Not, and we haven't done like a deep dive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to do more of those okay. uh, because I like them and I hope other people do too <laughs> because otherwise, you know, our, our audience will just keep shrinking and I'll just be talking to myself. But <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> The first startup that I want to talk about mm-hmm. is Twitch. Oh, yeah. That is big in the world that I am not a part of. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, same here. So I, I didn't pick Twitch because I use it. I'm not a huge gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I liked video games when I was a kid. Yeah. It was something my brothers and I did a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm ever since probably high school, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't really been into video games. Yeah. And it's evolved since high school. Oh, yeah. Like there's way too many buttons on the controller now for me. <laughs> I like the old, uh, you know, PlayStation controller. That, even that, you know, that you started to have a bunch of buttons. I like the old Nintendo controller. Atari joystick. <laughs> no, like I liked the Nintendo controller. You had your pad, like your directional pad, and you had an A and a B, and then you had like the start and select in the middle, and that was it. Can I just tell you, like, I did not grow up with video games, even like as a child, like I would do computer games, if anything, but we like never had any consoles or anything. So even the A and the B and like, I don't know what's what. And I get very confused when you all play. (laughs) Well, when you play for hundreds or thousands of hours as a child, you you (laughs) figure out which one's A and which one's B or you lose to Glass Joe uh, every time in Punch Out. <laughs> and that's just not something that you can do and still have any self-respect oh, in your household. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Glass Joe. All right. Yeah. Mental note. Don't lose to him. <laughs> so we'll get into, like, I, th- I think it'll become clearer why I picked Twitch as the story unfolds. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of want to tell the story of Twitch and okay. the founders of Twitch. All right. Okay. The story of Twitch starts out like any great startup story cocaine and lollipops <laughs> yes <laughs> cocaine in my mind and lollipops <laughs> um no i'm just kidding not all startup stories start out like this but the story of twitch starts out with a couple of kids playing video games together oh oh very similar to your story <laughs> exactly <laughs> But I didn't go on to found oh, this crazy. billion dollar company. <laughs> when the road divided, you went one way and they went <laughs> <Yeah>. the other way. <laughs> uh, not yet anyway. Okay. Um, so Justin Kahn and Emmett Shear, mm-hmm. they grew up in the Seattle area and they mm-hmm. met each other when they were in second grade. This had to be about 1990. Um, okay. So yeah. they're a little older than we are. Yeah. The great decade. Just a little. <laughs> And they lived a few blocks from each other. Okay. So they were, you know, visiting their visiting each other's houses. And Emmett even said in an interview that I that I read that he used to like spending more time at Justin's house because Justin's parents let him have video games. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that was me. Oh, I was Emmett. I was Emmett. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your parents weren't a, weren't fans of the video no, games. No. No. And I would go to my friends' houses who had like Duck Hunt and like yeah, all or even cable. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I, we were late to the cable game at my house, but we got it just in time for the new Mickey Mouse Club. Anyway, I digress. Well, how cool is that, that yeah. they started out playing video games together yeah. and this evolved into what is now the largest online gaming streaming company. So they were friends throughout high school and they both ended up at Yale. This wasn't planned Okay. Uh, that they ended up at Yale, but that's they both were accepted and that's where they both decided to go. 
and so they stayed friends in college um Emmett was a computer science major Mm. and Justin studied physics and philosophy oh wow that is not anything about no he wasn't technical um so yeah he didn't he didn't know how to code Mm -hmm. at this point so in 2005 they were graduating Mm -hmm. and they didn't know what to do uh, after college like most of us mm-hmm. uh, when we get to college yeah uh, when we're ready to graduate college the age-old question and what do we do now <laughs> yeah so a friend of theirs gave them some advice and he, he said why don't you guys start a company start a startup oh wow yeah because of like how low the opportunity cost is yeah like you're either going to go out and get a job which is you know probably not going to be a highly paying job you're just out of college if if you fail starting a startup you can live with your parents or you can live with your parents while you're starting the startup like you're never going to have another chance to right you know have that low of an opportunity cost yeah I guess I guess I mean some parents are supportive of that some parents are like go go find a job oh yeah no this is nothing about the parents like this is this isn't the advice that their friend gave them right (laughs) (laughs) it was in college with them (laughs) but he's so wise (laughs) (laughs) no I mean I would give this advice to anyone who is you know interested in starting a startup and can come up with some ideas and you know especially if they're technical uh if they can write code but anyway so they decided to start a company Mm -hmm. and so gmail had just launched in 2004 yeah i remember okay yeah so we were in college when gmail launched this is 2005 and justin emmett made the observation that gmail didn't have a calendar component so gmail was the first real in the browser ajax based email system email system right and outlook you know, like which mm-hmm. which was the standard and still is for desktop email, mm-hmm. you know, has a calendar component. So they said, well, why don't we build that? Mm-hmm. OK. Oh, and they just so happened to hear about Y Combinator, which had just launched okay. that year. This was their first batch. Oh. So they were they, they hadn't they didn't have a reputation yet. Uh, so Paul Graham was out there actually emailing engineering departments at different universities he was the one like out there recruiting yeah that's uh, why because they didn't have anybody yet so they were looking for their first batch i think they had they ended up having like seven or eight um, companies in that batch oh my gosh um yeah seven or eight yeah it was tiny (laughs) so they heard about y combinator because emmett was in the computer science department so they applied they they decided to apply y combinator then was in cambridge um so it was closer to them anyway oh interesting and they got in Nice. So they were one of the first companies that went through Y Combinator. Back then, Y Combinator invested $11,000 plus $3,000 per founder total. Yeah. So for the two of them, it was just the two of them in this company, that was $17,000. So that's cute. <laughs> not not a lot of money by, no. uh, you know, it, today Y Combinator invests $500,000 into the companies that they invest in. <laughs> But they were starting out, um, right, you know, right. yeah. and to a couple of college students, you know, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. A couple other companies in that batch, by the way, uh, Reddit oh, was in the wow. first batch of Y Combinator and Sam Altman had a company called Looped in that batch. Yeah, it was a, I think it was like a geolocation startup, but it, it, it did get acquired, I think, but um, he is much more famous for founding OpenAI, okay. Um, okay. which is the maker of ChatGPT. Right. Uh, he also went on to become the president or CEO or president and CEO of Y Combinator after Paul Graham retired. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. 
Wow. So he was also in that batch. I don't know if you know this, but like did the second batch then like the next year like completely like explode because of all these like really successful companies that started? No, because you don't know that a company is successful for for a long Several time years. after. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, usually I most sure. companies take a while. Oh, okay. Uh, so I think there were about the same number of companies in the second batch. Oh, okay. So they built the software. They called this calendar app Kiko Software. They were able to raise $100,000 after Y Combinator too okay. uh, from investors. Okay. So they could keep it going for a while. They got covered by TechCrunch, which is the most popular tech websites covering yeah. tech news and stuff yeah even i know about tech crunch. okay yeah all so. right yeah but is it just because of me uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> my techie husband <laughs> so they attracted something like ninety thousand users uh okay. shortly after sign after launch mm-hmm. um by some of their initial pr uh which is great so you know at that point you'd think they're doing pretty well right things are going to keep growing gmail obviously needs this counterpart tool of a calendar right but they had some trouble continuing to attract users after the launch, okay, which often happens. Um, okay. You know, you, you get this big rush of users at the launch, yeah. a lot of which probably aren't even in your target market, but like your target customers, but they hear about the launch right. and they sign up and they try it out yeah. and then they don't use it. Right. It's like it's like starting a podcast. Like you get this <laughs> influx of subscribers. Like, and then what is they this just about? go away. No, <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Our numbers are looking pretty good. <laughs> But yeah, they had trouble keeping users active. Yeah. And they they didn't know how to really get a lot more users, which is what they were going to need if they were going to make this a scalable, you know, venture-backed company. Okay. And they also didn't talk to any calendar users, uh, oh, which would have been so a, funny. a good thing to do. Yeah, they've admitted that in interviews. Like they they weren't out there talking to users of calendars. They weren't calendar users themselves, oh really, gosh. because well, I mean, like they were college students. They just graduated college. Like. How much do you need a calendar? I mean, all you really care about is your class schedule. Right, and that was probably on paper at right, that point. Right. No, that's so true. <laughs> you know? I do remember like during one of like my first job interviews, they were like, how do you like keep your calendar organized? And I was like, I don't even use a calendar, but I had to like pretend because it yeah. was for like a personal assistant for somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then, the, probably the only people using online calendars were was for work, right? right. It, it was for your job. Right. Um, right. So a year later, in April of 2006, a year after they launched, mm-hmm. Google Calendar launched. Oh, no. <laughs> so when they thought to themselves, you know what would be neat? If Gmail had a calendar component, Google also thought that. Yeah, oh, they didn't even they like they didn't think to like talk to Google about or like do not do that when you have like this great idea and you don't want like. You know. <laughs> no, I mean, they wanted to build a startup to do it. I mean, maybe Google could acquire them, right? If they did it well enough, instead yeah. of build their own thing, uh, you know, if they had done it quickly enough and got it out there and scaled to, right. you know tens of millions of users or something like that yeah uh in the you know. ideal world yeah, yeah but you know they didn't have a ton of users google could build it themselves so Aww. they did and about two months later they realized they had no idea how to make a better product than google <laughs> yeah good, good thought <laughs> and they basically just got crushed so they shut it down mm-hmm. they ended up selling the domain and the code on ebay Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I sold my old MP3 player on eBay when I was a kid. They sold their company, basically. Uh They sold it for $265,000, I think, which, you know, that's a good amount of money for a just out of college college 
student for but sure. so they did have investors though mm-hmm. so they had to pay back their investors oh you know they each ended up with i think like 50 or 60 thousand dollars oh wow um so i mean that's still good money for you know something Just you worked on for a year <laughs> but you know they would consider it a failure it's mm-hmm. a in silicon valley that's a failure to anybody in the startup world right what would you do if you had you know graduated college went on to start a startup you know had a little rough go at it made a little money but essentially failed and then when you're thinking of you you didn't make enough to live off of right for right. for very long yeah so what do you do next i would completely pivot do something totally different and cry to my mom <laughs> no like would you get a job oh well yeah that's what i meant by pivoting like i wouldn't try to like well, you can't say pivot because any... pivot in startup world oh, means something oh, completely different. no like pivot my life oh. <laughs> like okay. I, would, I would like go into like a whole different industry okay got it <laughs> okay so that's probably what most people would do right that's not what they did so scrappy they liked (laughs) they liked it right like they they were into it so you know not that idea but startups so they went back to paul graham Mm -hmm. at yc Mm -hmm. with another idea in 2007 so the next year Mm -hmm. wow that quick i mean they knew that money was going to run out fast they're probably buying lots of video games (laughs) (laughs) so the idea that they first went and pitched paul graham at y combinator was a company that lets you print your blog as a coffee table book. That's cool. Is it? Uh, no. Well, yeah, if you think about it. No. If you think about it more, I think it becomes <laughs> less and less cool the, the more you think about it. Well, I'm the type of person that like wants like, you know, my kids artwork in a coffee table book and like all of my, you know, things in like a Okay, so um, Mm. Justin and Emmett, if you're listening uh, and you still want to start that company, my wife will buy the coffee table book. She doesn't have a blog, so it'll have to be something else. Uh, She could also get her pictures turned into a book by a thousand other companies right now, but she wants your startup. You have have an investor in me. (laughs) So so Paul Graham told them, that's a terrible idea. And he said... What else do you have, basically? You got any other ideas? And this isn't to say that Paul Graham only has great ideas. Uh, Another thing that Emmett said was uh, some of Paul Graham's ideas were also terrible, Mm. but they were great starting points. So the only other thing they, they had in mind was an idea for streaming Justin's life on the Internet. Uh, like what kind of life? Like the startup? No, like his personal life. Oh. They said, what if we attached a camera to Justin and recorded everything that he did all day, every day, put that on the internet? Oh, wow. And Y Combinator said, yeah, we'll fund that. They'll fund that and not the coffee table book. (laughs) So they must have like really wanted to see something in his life. Good investors in early stage companies don't necessarily take the idea as the idea that it initially starts as okay um they see the potential you mean they see the yeah they look at the market Mm -hmm. that you're in Mm -hmm. um they look at what that idea could become if creative hardworking, Mm -hmm. technical founders you know somebody who can actually build things Mm -hmm. what that could become Mm -hmm. if they spend some time on it okay so obviously paul graham and the other y combinator partners saw some potential in this. Um, I don't think they necessarily thought this was, you know, this idea was going to be a billion dollar company, which is, you know, why they were investing in companies. But it was in the ballpark of something that sounded interesting and could turn into something big, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons for that was that really the capability to do this type of thing that they were talking about 
was really just becoming possible. There was no way that the average person could live stream anything on the go anywhere, mm-hmm. like anywhere they wanted to go at that point. Right. Um, it just it wasn't possible, which we'll talk about in a second. But it wasn't just the two of them that started this company. They brought on s- some additional co-founders. Mm-hmm. One of their co-founders was Michael Seibel. Mm, I know that name. Uh, he went on to become the CEO of YC. Okay. So he was a friend from Yale. Okay. They, they brought him on. They called him. They said he was a calm, intelligent person and he could help focus the team and sort of like not jump at like all the shiny objects. Yeah. So while they were working on Kiko software, they built and launched six other products. Mm-hmm. Like when that wasn't, you know, just while they were working on it, it was right. kind of they weren't sure if it was going to work or not. And like when one wouldn't like immediately take off, they just would move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. So they thought he could maybe help with that. And they also brought on another founder because they realized, or they, they knew this, I think, that none of them knew how to actually build the technology that they needed oh, to do this whole live streaming thing that they were talking about. Oh, so it was just like a concept. Yeah, it was just a concept. So what they did was to find somebody, because they didn't. Well, they also didn't know anybody mm-hmm. um, that, that could do this, that would be a founder with them. So they emailed the MIT engineering listserv, mm. <clears throat> basically with like a job posting, mm-hmm. um, for somebody to be a founder on their team. And they went to MIT and they interviewed this guy named Kyle Vogt. Okay. Okay. He was a computer science and electrical engineering major at MIT. Okay. So just thinking back to like this time, this was 2007, the first iPhone wasn't released until June 2007. Oh, wow. And it couldn't record video. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Like I didn't have the, I didn't have the iPhone. No, like you, I didn't realize I you had it that early. Yeah. But, so the first iPhone that could record video didn't come out till 2009. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. There weren't smartphones like mm-hmm. doing this back then. Um, right. There certainly weren't good enough cellular networks to stream. So you, you had to figure out a way to sort of like MacGyver something mm-hmm. together. And that's what they needed Kyle to do. So when Justin and Emmett finished interviewing Kyle, mm-hmm. they flew back out to San Francisco. And when they landed, they had an email from Kyle with a design basically for all of this specs for what they needed for their like theoretical live streaming camera okay so they decided all right this is our guy oh right? okay. okay. <laughs> so they brought kyle on board so there were the four of them and in march 2007 they launched justin tv that's what they decided that's to what they decided it. to call it yeah okay so it was justin khan's life on the internet and they called it justin tv okay all right you know kind of like the truman show except justin knew that he was being filmed right or, uh, was oh. justin like famous at this point like was he somebody that people would want to watch his life no stream? not at all okay. um no he wasn't famous at all nobody outside of okay. his group of friends and family knew who he was so we'll get there too so the what they did was he wore a baseball hat uh-huh. with a camera attached to it oh my gosh yeah this was the prototype that this mit guy drew up i mean it's I all mean, it was did. able to, to yeah. stream i get like the whole technicality of it but like well that's so I mean, that's not the only thing he wore. He had to wear a backpack oh. because he needed a place to store the laptop oh, yeah, that the yeah. camera was connected and like the to battery. and the battery. Yeah. yeah. And extra battery. So it could last while he was, you know, enough time oh so gosh. that he was out. And that's how it worked. So I would not trust this guy. If he walked into a store, I'd be like, what's in the backpack? Like, what, you know, because this isn't something that's like normal. Yeah. No, not. Well, yeah. I mean, it's certainly unconventional yeah. uh, for the time. Now it's like everyone's out there filming everything and right. they don't need all this right. equipment. You yeah. just need your phone. But 
Right. So I was curious, like how Emmett and Justin initially decided that like mm. it would be it would be Justin's life that yeah. they would um, put on the internet. <laughs> Emmett said in an interview that Justin kind of always wanted to be famous. Oh, right. So to your point, like, no, he wasn't famous yet, but he kind of had that ambition. So their initial launch attracted a lot of media attention. They got on the Today Show, uh, Nightline. Really? Other media outlets. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a novel idea. Nobody else was doing this because it, I mean, it really just became possible. I think there was um, some sort of like network card that that like they could just get that allowed for for them to get good enough quality Mm -hmm. signal anywhere so that you know that's what they used they had about a hundred thousand viewers in the first month oh wow so it was popular uh people were tuning in yeah to watch but it was also very expensive oh um, sure the bandwidth to stream that much data back then so they raised i think like three hundred fifty thousand dollars total based on that initial traction that they had. And for the first six months, they were just filming Justin's life. That's all they did, you know, on his camera. So like he did would... Did this include like going to the bathroom and sleeping? Uh, Yeah, but like, you know, when he went in the bathroom, I think they would, he would just like hang the camera, the hat somewhere. Oh, okay. um, so like, I think you could still hear audio, but like you couldn't see anything. <laughs> oh, so gosh. sleeping, I think you could see him sleep yeah just like the truman show like, yeah 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 but like also going out on dates like oh. he i guess he went on some dates during this time with that hat on yeah and like obviously he had to explain it so like i, I don't think any of them went very well would run the other way but also people would <laughs> they would people who were watching and, and people ended up trying to do this they would try and spot where he was Mm, like find out yeah and they would do some crazy things like order like a hundred pizzas and have them sent to uh, like they figured out where he lived i think and they had him sent to his house oh wow someone else called in called the cops and said that like there was a stabbing or something in his apartment and sent them to that apartment and the cops like kicked down the door and like yeah so so they can like watch it real time like what happens they're basically in charge of yeah yeah. the the show oh that's so interesting (laughs) it was yeah it was Mm. not good but you know so that stuff was you know that stuff probably made for interesting television but most of his life was just pretty boring, yeah, right? Like right. like all of our lives. Yeah. Like if somebody's going to watch it nonstop, like right. that gets boring. Absolutely. Um, so what they decided to do then when they realized, all right, this is very expensive. Our, our metrics are falling. People are not watching this anymore. We need to figure out, we need to pivot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we need to do something else. Like a real pivot. Yeah. Not just a startup pivot. pivot. Yeah. So they decided, let's let's open this up to everybody to be able to stream. Oh, interesting. Okay. So at this point, you know, people could stream. Not everybody could necessarily stream walking around everywhere like Justin could, but technology was getting better. Um, so they didn't all this need was, the hats and backpacks. No, okay. this was, you know, six months later. Um, I thought they had like a product line at this point. <laughs> no, but like people could stream on their webcams. Yes. So they opened it up to everybody. So now anybody could sign up and connect their webcam and stream whatever they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that was more interesting to people and it created some early internet celebrities Mm. Um, oh this was like the rise of content creators so this is kind of why i wanted to talk about twitch um so one notable content creator was i justine do you have you ever heard of her i have not okay so she was one i i remember hearing of her i didn't really know what she did she's still out there now she's on youtube but people were doing things like street art um Mm. they people hosted their own talk shows. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Justin TV founders dreamed themselves playing Call of Duty. Okay. So, you know, that was their thing. They they were like, oh, let's hook this up and 
maybe you know people watch us play video games Mm -hmm. they raised a couple million dollars shortly after that pivot and then they raised another six million dollars in 2008 and they needed that money because this was still very expensive with all these people you know streaming Mm -hmm. these costs added up and fortunately for them they raised this money right before the financial crisis Mm. because then it got very difficult to raise funding right and they still weren't making any money so Mm -hmm. they had no way of monetizing all this content oh wow at wow. this point, they were burning money very fast mm-hmm. and they were running out of money. Okay. They actually had a sign in their office that started out, I think it started out saying six months to bankruptcy. Oh my God. To communicate to themselves and their employees at this time oh. that, you know, things were pretty dire. Like mm-hmm. we've got to do something mm-hmm. and we have to do it fast. So, you know, it, and they kept counting it down five months, four months. Wow. So they were months. Yeah. Oh, and they got they got to as low as eight weeks from running out of cash wow. and going bankrupt. And they decided, well, let's just try and monetize this any way we can. They were I think they were initially worried about like the, hurting the user experience if mm-hmm. they did it wrong. So they put up Google AdWords mm-hmm. so they could get ad revenue mm-hmm. from the site. Yeah. They decided to charge for their mobile app, which now like nobody would charge for a social network app, mobile app. Right? right. Because that's just going to limit your growth but they had to right so they did and they cut costs wherever they could and uh, at this point they had around 50 million users a month so it was pretty huge yeah wow. Um, and by doing these things they finally became profitable just in time but that didn't solve their problems one of their biggest problems was that they ran into a lot of legal trouble do you have any idea why they might have faced some legal challenges were people like streaming like illegal, like using music, like copyrighted music and stuff? Yeah. Well, it was mostly live sporting events. Oh, so, yeah. But yes, that. yes, they were streaming copyrighted uh, content media. Right. That was very popular on the site and mm-hmm. they had to try and shut it down whenever they could, but they couldn't keep up with it. And so they realized that was a problem. But then also their growth had just stalled. You know, at this point, the internet was growing like crazy. Millions and millions of people were coming on the internet every month that were never on the internet and they weren't growing at all. So basically, if you're not growing and the internet is growing, like they were they were dying. Like right. They felt like they yeah. were dying. Yeah. Start like dwindling. Yeah. I mean, they had paywalls up on their app. So that's obviously going to limit user growth. They had ads up, which was going to hurt the user experience. So they knew they had to make another change. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't really decide and agree on what that change was. So two of the founders had different ideas for the direction that the company should go. Okay. So they decided to try two different things at once, basically like experiments. Mm -hmm. And they figured they would give each idea six months and whichever one hit its growth targets over those six months, they would pivot the company and do that. Okay. The two founders that had these ideas were one, Michael Seibel. He thought it was obvious that mobile apps were going to become massive. Mm-hmm. And they weren't at the time yet. And nobody had really done video for mobile well yet. At this point, Instagram still didn't have videos. Right. It wasn't until I think 2013 that Instagram supported videos. There was no Meerkat or Periscope or Snapchat uh, right. yet. And Michael argued that mobile video was going to be huge and wanted to pivot the company to focus on that. Mm-hmm. So the other idea came from Emmett. Okay. Emmett realized that there was this segment of users that it wasn't the biggest segment of users, but they were passionate users. And it was something that he could 
understand why people were excited about it. And so he was sort of passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And that was video game streamers. Oh, probably took him back to being seven again. Exactly. So there were only, at this point, there were only, it was something like 50 or 100 video game streamers on the site. Oh, wow. So um, not, not a huge no, population. But, but maybe about 500,000 users watching those yeah, um, yeah. streamers. Mm -hmm. And they were the only streams that he personally watched okay. on the site. Oh, that's so great. he was into it. Yeah, right. So for one, Emmett really enjoyed watching and engaging with the other gamers on what was Justin TV at this point. Yeah. And he believed that there had to be more people like him mm -hmm. and more than just what was on the platform already. Right. Um, and he thought that this was a growing space. And he had a core insight about this space that unlike movies or music or sports where the creators have an incentive to keep it off your platform because they don't get anything out of it if you are showing their live sporting event on your free platform mm -hmm. and they don't have to purchase it. Video game creators are all for you mm. broadcasting someone playing their game because that doesn't mean I'm playing the game. Right. That means I'm more likely to buy the game right. because I'm so, seeing you playing yeah. it and, and yeah. having fun with it and engaging in it. Yeah. So it's like you're, free advertising. Right. right? Like for they're the, demoing a game and you're like, ooh, I wonder if I can like reach right. that level. Exactly. And, yeah. They weren't going to shut them down for video game streaming like these other forms of media were mm -hmm. so in june of 2011 they moved the video game streaming section to a new site called twitch tv okay and that's how twitch was born got it mm -hmm. so those are the two ideas so michael's spinoff mm -hmm. was called social cam okay so this is the video mobile video mm -hmm. startup yep. after six months it attracted a bunch of users but it wasn't growing nearly as much as twitch twitch crushed oh, its goals wow. you know they, they had kind of both placed bets on these different projects right so michael was the became the ceo of social cam and that ended up getting acquired by autodesk in july of 2012 okay for 60 million dollars oh so wow it was a successful exit yeah um it only had four employees i found a quote from michael at the time where he said something like videos Unlike photos, there isn't the same type of instant gratification when sharing a video. And perhaps more importantly, people aren't yet used to videography. And right. there's a considerable learning curve to making video look good. Yeah. So in a sense, he was too early. Yeah, that's funny. Because he was ahead of his time. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously, not too many years later, video took off. Right, right. Like, have you ever heard of Social Cam? I haven't, Okay, no. yeah. So I, I hadn't either. I mean, I wouldn't have if I didn't know this story right. either. Right? It was nothing I ever right. used. But now, like now, the video like, sharing platforms are also, they have capabilities that make it really easy to edit and like do these like different effects to make them engaging videos. So like that might have also been the component that he was missing in Social Cam is like, the editing, like yeah, easy editing. Maybe. I'm sure the product wasn't Instagram, mm -hmm, right? But right. And then you had Twitch, right? Where Emmett, Justin, and Kyle stayed working on Twitch. Okay. They talked to their users. So this is one of the things they learned when they were working on Kiko, yeah. right? Talk to your users. Yeah. So they talked <laughs> to their users. And this is like core YC advice as okay. well. And what their users said, and, and this is something that Emmett had no idea that this is what the users would want at mm -hmm, all. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be paid. Like mm -hmm. they wanted to make money yeah. for streaming. And 
the reason he didn't think that they would want it was because all they would be making at the time based on their numbers and like what Twitch could afford to pay them was like a couple bucks a month. Oh, wow. So he, he was like, so like you're telling me you would want to get paid even though even if it was just like two or three bucks a month. And they said, yeah, we just think it would be cool to make money, any money to play video games. Wow. So they did that. So they decided like, all right, we're going to pay our content creators, our streamers uh, for playing video games. And the streamers loved it. So they built out more features like engagement features. Um, They built out the chat features because the viewers liked to engage with the players, like Mm -hmm. the video game players. Mm -hmm. And they also liked impacting the content that they were watching. Right. So like if they were talking to somebody, uh, maybe they could go to the right. Yeah. Don't open that door. And so those people were using it not just to watch, but for the community. Yeah. They're they're talking to the creator and like for them, you know, these are, maybe kind of like celebrities mm-hmm. uh, who are playing yeah. these video games. Right. Um, and they would go on to become, some of them, you know, go on to become celebrities, basically. At this point, there were competitors, not many, but there were some competitors. There was one called Ustream. So they actually paid some popular streamers like a thousand bucks to switch from Ustream to Twitch because oh. why not? Like okay. there's a thousand bucks and we're going to pay you yeah. on Twitch. So all these bets really paid off. Twitch grew to 20 million users by... 2013. Wow. So just the video game section. Yeah. But they kind of struggled to raise money. Mm. So at this point, you know, it had been almost seven years since they started Justin TV and it had just been a grind. The company almost failed multiple times. VCs thought it was too niche or like it wasn't going to keep growing. Like you've already got the entire population on the planet that is interested in (laughs) video game streaming on your site is I think effectively what they must have thought. Right. So in 2014, they got some pretty good offers to buy the company. Oh. And they decided to sell to Amazon in 2014. Mm. Oh, yes. For $970 million. My gosh, that's insane. Today, there are 140 million monthly active users on Twitch. Wow. So those investors who didn't think it had any more room to grow yeah. uh, at 20 million in 2013, they were slightly off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I just think it's so fascinating that this this idea, like nobody would have thought of this idea. Yeah. Like even the founders of Twitch right. didn't <laughs> have this idea. Like yeah. this idea... Yeah. They wouldn't have come up with this if they didn't start Justin TV. Yeah, I know, which is so like far from what they ended up with. Right. Yeah. Which that's that's one of the amazing things about startups to me. Yeah. But not all of the founders were still with Twitch at the time that they sold. So okay. Michael had left. Right. And right. he was he founded Social Cam, which had its own exit. Um, obviously, he was still a founder. He still had stake in the company. Mm-hmm. Justin Khan actually left the company shortly after the pivot to Twitch. Oh, interesting. In 2011 or 2012 uh, he left he said he kind of felt like it was Emmett's project Mm. um Emmett was the one really into the video game streaming site and at the time Justin kind of wanted to be CEO of a company himself and Mm. Emmett was the one who ended up becoming CEO at Twitch Mm -hmm. and he didn't feel like he was having a big enough impact like Emmett kind of had things there like under control right so he wanted to kind of go start his own things. So Justin went on, he started, he has started a few other companies since then. Maybe we'll talk about some of them in another episode. Yeah. Uh, he's now a YouTube creator, actually. Okay. So if okay. anybody wants to check him out and doesn't know of him, he's pretty popular on YouTube. And Michael, I talked about, he went on to 
start social cam mm-hmm. after that he became ceo of y combinator mm-hmm. uh he's still at y combinator uh as a partner mm-hmm. did you meet him when you were in y i did yeah he yeah. was there um he was there when That's i was cool. at y combinator actually he was one of the partners that interviewed me oh okay, okay. yeah yeah another topic for a future okay. episode yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> and lastly kyle the electrical and computer yes. engineering yeah. whiz. <laughs> yeah, the, the baseball backpack uh, Right, the inventor. creator. So he actually left Twitch in the fall of 2013 to found a company called Cruise, which okay. was a self-driving car startup. Oh, is that what, what all the big self-driving cars in Silicon Valley are? Not all of them. So Cruise, we could probably do another episode just on Cruise if we wanted to. Maybe we will. But only a few years after founding Cruise with Justin Kahn's brother, by the way. Oh, interesting. Wow. What entrepreneurial family. They sold to GM Mm. for over a billion dollars. That's awesome. So Kyle has two, basically $2 billion exits under his belt, Um, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. Emmett stayed on as the CEO at Twitch mm-hmm. until March 2023. So just earlier oh, this wow. year, he retired from Twitch. Oh my gosh. So, wow. What yeah. a story. I, I know. Mean, isn't that cool? I mean, yeah. in 2017, there was a report by Superdata that found that more people watch gaming videos and streams than HBO, Netflix, ESPN, and Hulu combined. Get out. Seriously. Isn't that nuts? Like for most of the world's population, you could never imagine that being a thing, right? Like I can't imagine there are that many people out there watching video games, but that is a huge number of people. That is. I know. Well, I mean, when you think about video games and like creators of video games, and the only reason why I know this is because of a book that I had just finished reading called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And ah, I did not know if I it. would like it. It's, it's like a huge, but like a lot of people are reading it. It's my new favorite book now. It's about video game creators. So I did not know if I would like it or not. But um, the the backstory and the content that they put into video games and the story behind video games, the characters that they develop yeah. and create, it, like there's a whole deeper level to it that I'm sure you know, video game fanatics see that. And that's why they, they watch these like people live stream video games because yeah. they, it's just like, it, it's, it's a whole culture, which, you know, Definitely is something is. that I just learned about. Who knew we'd both be talking about our favorite books on this podcast. I know. Yeah. I, it was not planned. <laughs> hey, Tony. Hey, May. Do you know what time it is? I think I do. It's time for the hot mom of the week. Yeah. Whoa, last time I checked, I'm still hot. Okay, we talked about maybe the two most random things, which is ghost kitchens and then ultimately Twitch and video gaming. Right. But it didn't take me long to like instantly think about who our hot mom of the week that we're going to feature is. That's why I love you. (laughs) And it's somebody that I've been already following. Her name is Alyssa Nguyen. Her handle is at gaming underscore foodie. What? On both TikTok and Instagram. (laughs) I mean, there's not someone called that. No, yeah, it's Gaming Foodie. And it's like, okay. So she is a real and relatable foodie influencer who posts videos making Korean and Vietnamese recipes traditionally. <laughs> she also just happens to play video games? Well, so I, the video game part of it, I think, is is her husband, who I cannot uh, for the life of me figure out what he does. 
So he apparently is the gaming part of her handle. He really loves video games. I don't know any more about him than that. He only like makes appearances on her videos like with the back of his head or his arm like sometimes like he's playing video games and like she'll serve him the, or she'll like bring him the food and you only see his arm he's very mysterious to ah, me so he's I, like um wilson yes. in home improvement <laughs> yes yeah you only see part of him but apparently he's the gaming part of her her name but the, the, what what i really love about her and what she also kind of reminds me of the topics that we were talking about is um she will film herself like real life almost like justin tv like unedited uh. you get what you get so what it was what that she wasn't always like that she started her gaming foodie account in 2019 and she was um, in an interview saying that she always tried to be this like cookie cutter mom. She would apparently wake up at like 2 or 3 a.m. before um, like her kids would wake up and like chaos would kind of ensue. Mm-hmm. And she would like carefully script and record her voiceovers. But she noticed that her channel wasn't really growing. So the turning point for her was when in 2021, she moved from California to Texas because of her husband's new job, which I still don't know what it is. <laughs> um, and so she didn't have family nearby to help with childcare anymore. So it was basically just like her and her children. And she was forced to like embrace the messiness of everyday life. And, you know, she just like kind of hit record and filmed herself you know, making a recipe with like the kids screaming in the background, you know, the food like overboiling, things like that. Like she's real. She's unedited. It says like when she burns her food, she doesn't edit it out. She also (laughs) doesn't use like high end ingredients like caviar and truffles and like expensive things. Like she, she's just a very, I mean, who uses caviar on a daily basis? There's some content creators where that's like their brand, you know, just like high end things. But she knows that like, her style of content is not perfect and that's kind of been her brand now and she's embraced it. So sometimes like even her head will like be cut off and that's okay. She just like rolls with it. At one point, I think like she accidentally like early on she accidentally slipped and like let her person her true personality show like she kind of uses <laughs> like silly like you know phrases for ingredients or you know she'll have this like really comical laugh and it just kind of comes out naturally and and she was like whatever that's who I am like love it or leave it and people loved it and so now she loved it and and to the point where 1.2 million people also loved it and that's her following on Instagram at this point and another thing that she said like she just um she wanted to stop comparing herself to creators in their 20s and their 30s who don't have young children so she was cool with like being able to be like hey I'm a mom I cook and these are my kids running around and like sometimes like she'll show them on on her videos and stuff and I don't know and her food looks really good I've actually made a couple things from her TikToks um that turned out really great that's awesome. I think one of the funny things is for Justin TV. So Justin Kahn and Emmett Shear thought it might be interesting to record Justin's entire life, right? And live and live stream it. Mm-hmm. And what it turns out is that people want to watch very specific 
parts of your life. If you think about all the creators out yeah, there today, that's true. right? You've got all these different segments. Like you've got Alyssa, this the gaming foodie. Like people want to watch her cook. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to watch her, you know, get in her car and then drive to drive her kids to school and then you know every day right. and then drive her kid and then you know whatever and unboxers or whatever mm-hmm. people they just want to see you open right packages yeah or yeah. whatever like it, yeah. it's crazy how what kind of insight would it have taken to know that that's what that's exactly <laughs> what people right. want to watch yeah. on the internet no that's so true and it's really great when you see content creators recognize what it is that people do want to see in their lives and they really like latch onto that and they embrace that as their brand I've seen other creators just like be this hodgepodge of of things like sometimes they're making a recipe sometimes they're singing a a parody song and like they just don't know what it is that they want to be and what they want to do and you know you gotta you gotta give it to the people who see what relates to their audience early on and and just embrace it and make it really cool so yeah I think the only people who are making it as the you know let's watch everything I do is like the Kardashians or like someone who's mm, you right. know super famous already right. yeah. and you know you want to see what well, I don't I don't but like some <laughs> some segment of the population wants to see what they're doing all the time yeah, yeah. Uh, but that wasn't Justin Khan yeah, right and that's not right. us right right <laughs> right exactly know. exactly. But yeah, so so that is Alyssa Nguyen at gaming underscore foodie. Follow her on Instagram and TikTok. She is definitely our hot mom of the week. I, I love her so much. <laughs> well, that's all we've got today. If you enjoyed the episode, hit the subscribe button. And reach out on social media. Dot coms. And hot moms. Signing off.